18 is what we're going to look at. I want to, for our reading, read uh, the verse before and the verse after also. Kind of set the, get the context here of what's being, what's taking place and what's being said. 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 13 is where I want to start reading. 14 is our text. I'll read 13, 14, and 15. He says in verse 13, Yea, I think it meet, and then he makes this statement, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. He says in verse 14 that I must shortly, I must put off this my tabernacle. I want to talk about putting off the tabernacle. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. I thank you for a good day today. The fellowship we've had, Lord, I've sensed your presence here in our midst as we've sung and preached and prayed and fellowshiped together. And I pray now as we look one last time for the day, look into your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me. Lord, I pray that you would take my mind and my will and my body and merge it to your will and the message you have for tonight. I want to remove myself, my understanding, my thinking, my... Everything out of the way, Lord, so you can speak and uh, challenge and help us, encourage us. So have your way and bless now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at these three verses I just read, and if you pay close attention to his wording, it becomes obvious that Peter is uh, approaching the end of his life. He says there, notice, uh, and I tried to highlight it as I read verse 13. He says, uh, uh, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. And he says, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, what is he implying? There's coming a time when he will, what? Not be in this tabernacle. He says, but as long as I am, that day's coming, I'm not going to be in this tabernacle. Then verse 14, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle. So he's continuing that thought. He says, as long as I'm here in this body, uh, I'm going to stir you up. I know that my time is short. I know that the end is coming. I'm going to put this tabernacle off. And then notice 15, he says, I, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my, what? Decease. He's talking about his death. So Peter knew, he understood, he did not have long to live. He was fully aware of that. Peter is one of the few people in Scripture that was not looking for the rapture. Now, we had mentioned this in previous messages, but everybody in Scripture from the, after the ascension of Christ, they were looking for the return of Christ. You go through the book of Acts, man, they're preaching Jesus coming back, Jesus coming back. Paul anticipated the return of Jesus Christ, or at least the rapture of Jesus Christ in his lifetime. He said in Thessalonians, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. Paul anticipated the rapture in his lifetime. Listen, you and I are not wrong to anticipate Jesus' rapture in our lifetime. We're told to watch. We're told to be ready, be aware. 
But we don't know when that event's going to take place. However, Paul, as he approached the end of his life, he became, I believe, he became aware of the fact that he's probably not going to be raptured. And he says to Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. He realized, I fought a good fight, I've kept the, I've fought a good fight, I've, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course. Time of my departure is at hand. Paul came, finally came and says, and he's basically, I think he's basically saying this, you know, chances are I'm not going to be here when the rapture takes place. Now, we don't know when. I'd be fine if the Lord came back tonight. In fact, I would love that. In fact, I pray a lot. Lord, come on back. How many people would be okay if the rapture took place tonight? Yeah. Yeah. And so Peter's one of the few people in Scripture that knew he wasn't going to be alive at the rapture. He was not going through the upper taker. He's going through the undertaker. He knew his departure was at hand. But his mind is occupied. You can't read these three verses that I just read here. You can't look at these and not come to the conclusion that something was heavy on Peter's mind as he thought about his approaching departure. One thing was he was concerned with the spiritual well-being of his flock. The people that God had given to him to influence and help. And he was concerned that when he's removed, when he's deceased, he puts off his tabernacle, he's concerned that they stay faithful. And they keep growing. And they keep developing in their faith. And so one thing that is heavy on his heart and mind, I see here, is the spiritual well-being of his flock, and that they continue to grow in the Lord. They continue to develop their faith, strengthen their faith, their maturity. Notice we've been highlighting this the last numerous messages. These things, these things, these things. He's coming back to verse 5 through 7. Add to your faith uh, uh, virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. And he goes down this list and he keeps referencing back to that. I think what Peter's concerned about is this. Is that their spiritual growth and their spiritual development is not dependent upon Peter. But they need to develop their own personal walk with God. They need to develop their own effort and a commitment to adding to their faith and growing and developing. You know, some people flourish as Christians as long as they have somebody over them goading them on and pushing them on. But we need to get to the point in our Christian life where I don't need external motivation to live for God. I think Peter's concerned about that. Now, God gives to the church pastors and teachers, and, you know, He gifts different people to help us grow, to help us develop in our faith. But it's my responsibility and it's your responsibility to add to my faith and to grow and live for God and keep my spiritual well-being. Nobody can point to somebody else and say, you're the reason I'm not right with God. Come on now, are you with me? Nobody can do that. Well, if you knew what my wife was like, you know why I'm not right with God. Listen, I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what your wife is like, but I know this. You're responsible for your own spiritual condition. Well, if you knew my husband, he's such a knucklehead. I don't know whether your husband's a knucklehead or not. There's a few I strongly suspect. 
But I know this, you and I are responsible for our own spiritual attitudes, our own spiritual growth, our own spiritual development. And so Peter, it's heavy on his heart and mind. My time, uh, my time to put off this tabernacle is quickly approaching. And I don't want you guys, when I'm gone, I want you to stay on for God. I want you to keep living for the Lord. I want you to keep growing. I believe every generation ought to be concerned for the spiritual strength of the following generation. I think that's where Peter is. is I'm going off the scene. You guys need to stay strong. Listen, one of these days, us old folks are going to be off the scene, and we want these young people to keep living for God. I want them to keep trusting God, keep, keep their faith in God. And so that's Peter's concern. That's Peter's concern. Verse 14, he uses this figure of speech. I think it's, I think it's uh, very descriptive. I, I appreciate what Peter is doing here. <clears throat> and he uses this figure of speech to reference his approaching death. And notice what he says here. He says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle. What a, what a neat way. To reference his approaching death. I'm going to put off this tabernacle. Now the word tabernacle that he uses here is simply has this idea. It's a dwelling place. Um, it's housing for something. Um, it has the idea of a place of residence or a dwelling place. He says this tabernacle that I am living in, this tabernacle that I'm dwelling in, this material residence that my spirit and my soul is in. Are you listening, girls? Good. That I'm living in, I'm going to shortly have to put this off. Now the phrase, put it off, has this idea. It means to lay it aside. I'm in this tabernacle right now, this dwelling place, this housing, this residence. I'm in it right now, but shortly I'm going to have to put off this tabernacle. Now, I'd take the coat completely off, but some of the men get so jealous when they see my muscles and everything. I just can't afford that. But you get the idea. You see the figure of speech he's using here. This is very picturesque wording. I'm gonna, this tabernacle, this dwelling place, this residence I'm in, I'm going to have to shortly put it up. I saw one place it's used, that way phrase put off, has this idea of folding the tent up. Anybody here ever go camping? I mean real camping with a tent. Some of y'all got these travel homes that are like a Hilton. That's not camping. That's a mobile motel. I'm talking tent on the ground. Sleeping back. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. And it has the idea. I've been sleeping in this thing. We've been living this for the week. It's the end of the week. We take this and we just... Fold it down, break it down, and we put it in the trunk. And Peter says, he refers to his death as putting this thing off, folding this thing up, and putting it away. Very picturesque, very, very, I think, neat figure of speech there. I look at Peter, what he's saying about his approaching death. And I don't sense any dread or fear on his part. I sense a very... Confident, understanding, resolved. It's coming. He accepts that. He understands. It. He has no problem with it. There's no fear. There's no dread. 
just a concern for the spiritual well-being of those that are coming after him, that are going to be left behind. He's very concerned about them. Now here's a few real quick thoughts I want to give. From this statement in verse 14, I must, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Fourth, four observations. Number one, death is certain. Death is certain. I didn't know you, I know you didn't come to church tonight to hear me talk about, yeah, you're going to die. The fact of the matter is, death is certain. The mortality rate among humanity is 100%. Notice what he says. Knowing that shortly I must. That word must means it will happen. It's unavoidable. It's certain. The fact of the matter is death is certain. Death is unavoidable. We don't like it. We try to put it off as long as we can. I'd like to live here as long as I can. My dad used to say, boy, getting old stinks. I said, dad, there's only one other alternative. Death is certain. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, and a time to what? Die. It's certain. It's reality. Death is a part of life. He says, I must shortly put off this tabernacle. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. It's appointed. It's certain. Rich people die. Poor people die. Popular people die. Unpopular people die. Educated people die. Uneducated people die. Saved people die. Unsaved people die. Red people die. Black people die. White people die. Yellow people die. Death is unavoidable. It's universal. Death is certain. He says, I must put this off. Now there is one generation, some point in time, when the rapture will take place, will avoid that channel, that doorway of death into the Lord's presence. But until then, death is certain. Death is certain. Uh, people with hair on their head die. People with no hair on their head die. People with blonde hair. People with red hair. People with, what's the other colors? Brunette hair. What? Black hair. Um, Peter said, I must. It's certain. Only a fool thinks that he can cheat death. Only a fool. I've done scores, probably, I wish I'd have kept track, hundreds of funerals the last 35 years in the ministry. I mean, many, many funerals. And every now and then you have someone, family member, friend, and they won't go in the funeral home. They refuse. I, I, don't ever, well, I had one guy tell me down here downtown, he said, I don't never go in a funeral home. I don't get around dead people. I don't know what his thinking was, but I think I know. Somehow if I ignore it, somehow if I can just put it out of my mind, I won't have to deal with it. I'm telling you, sooner or later, 
We've got to deal with it. It's foolish to think that I'm going to live forever here on this earth. It's foolish to think that I always have tomorrow. Always. How many times have we seen over the years somebody in a, sitting on a pew Sunday, one Sunday, and the next week they're in eternity? Death is certain. Death is certain. The second thing I notice here in Peter's statement is that time is limited. Knowing this, that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle. The word shortly means just a brief period of time. Peter was understanding. He was uh, at the point in life where it was became, became very obvious to him that he did not have a long time to live. Time is limited. Fact of the matter is, each and every one of us, young and old, we only have a limited number of days. We only have a limited number of years to live, and they pass by quickly. Did you ever notice when you got a big wad of money in your pocket, you can spend it, and it goes, seems like you have it forever. But brother, that wad gets smaller, and it seems like it gets spent a whole lot faster, you know? We're young, and man, I've got all these years ahead of me, and I've got all these days, I've got all of this. But brother, after a while, we start realizing they're pretty limited. Moses understood this. In Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12, Moses penned this down under the inspiration of God. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. He says, Lord, teach me to understand that I only have a limited amount of time to, to live and I need to be wise. I need to use the days and uh, the minutes that you've given me in a wise fashion, not squander it and not waste it. I need to be wise. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Job understood this in chapter 7, verse 6. Job made this statement. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Did you ever see a weaver's shuttle? The loom there. And Job said it's just like, boom, day after day after day. day it's going, 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 going. Next thing you know, weeks by, a months by, years by, decades by. Time is limited. Peter said, knowing that shortly I must, must, it's going to happen. You can get mad about it, you can try and ignore it, you can joke about it, but it's, it's coming. Time is limited. The third thing I notice in his statement here, death is not the end of our existence. He says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle. He doesn't say, shortly I'm going to cease to exist. He says, that which I'm dwelling in, that which I'm living in, that which I'm inhabiting, this body, this physical material body, shortly I'm going to lay that off. But he continues on. How many people, underst how many people here understand that you and I do not have a soul, but you and I are a soul and we have a body? And we live in this body a certain period of time, a certain number of days, a certain number of years. And then when it comes to time to put off this body, to fold up this tabernacle, then we continue on. Peter understood that there is, 
The grave was not the end. Physical death was not the end of his existence. The tabernacle, putting off a tabernacle, to me implies moving on. Implies moving out. I'm going somewhere else. Take your Bible if you would. Keep your place and come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Peter, or Paul touches on this a little bit. 2 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. Now I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't totally understand what he's saying here. It works out, but I think I, I think I got a grasp of what he's suggesting. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse number 1. He says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, same wording Peter's using, this earthly, this physical body that I'm living in, this material body that I'm living in, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, what's he talking about? Our body being dissolved, dying, back to the grave, dissolving, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. He says, we know that if that happens, look, look what he says, the rest part of the verse. We have a building of God, a house, a tabernacle, a dwelling place, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our, which, uh, with our house, which is from heaven. Now, this is what I think he's saying here. I'm pretty, pretty confident. I understand what he's saying, but I'm not 100%. I think this is what he's suggesting. It's that when this body dies, this massive frame of a man you're looking at right here, this body, um, I thought there'd be amens with that. When this body dies, it dissolves. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a new body, a new tabernacle, a new house that God has prepared for me to inhabit, me to dwell while I'm there in His presence in heaven with the Lord. Now here's where I'm not sure how everything plays out. I'll just be honest. But we know at the rapture, what's going to happen to this body I'm in right now that's dissolved? It's going to be resurrected. This body right here, this bald head, what you're looking at, it's going to be resurrected and reunited with me. And, I, I, and so I have this house in heaven that God's prepared. Somehow it's all going to be fused together. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to wait and see how that plays out. But I do know this. He makes it very clear that you and I, at the end of the at the end of the life of this body, that is not the end of our existence. These young people sitting down here, they're going to exist forever. Eventually their bodies are going to die, yours and mine, all of us, eventually. But they're going to continue on. Peter said, I'm going to put off this body. I'm going to move on. Put off this tabernacle. I'm going to move on. Uh, come down to verse 5 here, in, or verse 8 here in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, We are confident, I say, and willing rather, now look out the wording, to be absent from the body, and what? Present with the Lord. Present with the Lord. Um, my daddy died 
in the early, right at the beginning of COVID and the lockdowns, we were unable to have a funeral. Um, I couldn't even be at the graveside. There were a limited number of people. And, but I'm telling you right now, out there in Franconia, Pennsylvania, behind the Franconia Mennonite Church, there's a tombstone, has my daddy's name on, has his birth, his date, date of his birth, date of his death. Underneath, we put down there, only a sinner saved by grace. That was his song. And in that ground, below that tombstone, in that casket, is not my daddy. That's just his old tabernacle he lived in for 81 years. That's just the house he lived in for 81 years. He has a tabernacle, a house in heaven, made without hands by God himself in the very presence of God. So death is not the end of our existence. Luke chapter 16, Jesus told this event. It's, I think it's an historical account of a very wealthy man that was unsaved, a very poor man by the name of Lazarus that did know the Lord. The unsaved and the saved. One has all this world has to offer. The other one has nothing this world has to offer. But here's the interesting thing. They both died. How about that? But that wasn't the end. Lazarus, the saved man, you know the story. You know the account. was in the presence of Abraham. The rich man died. And these are Jesus' words, not mine. In hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. When they died, when they put off their tabernacle, Lazarus out there on the street, and, and the rich man there in his plush uh, uh, king-sized uh, bed with all the tapestry and every uh, uh, material thing this world has to offer, they didn't cease existing. They moved on. One, to eventually the presence of God. The other, in the depths of hell. I'm here to tell you, death is not the end. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus speaking to Lazarus, the other Lazarus, sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus was sick, died. The Lord showed up. And uh, the, lady, the girls are upset. Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. He made a statement. He said, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Even when this body dies, even when this tabernacle, we put it off, we're still alive as a believer. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall we live. Uh, the world, and I don't know, maybe I'm off base on this a little bit, I don't know. The world says, oh, I got a bucket list. I got a list of things I want to do before I kick the old bucket. And I want to go here, and I want to do that, and I want to experience this, and I want to enjoy that. And I'm just wondering if maybe we're missing the point. As if somehow, if I don't have all these experiences down here on earth, when I get to heaven, boy, I really missed out. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what your life is here on earth, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, and you get to heaven, you didn't miss out on nothing. 
go for all the gusto. How many people remember that commercial? That's probably, I don't know if it's still around anymore. Man, you only live once, go for all the gusto. Live it up. Then you die and it's all over. I'm telling you, it's not all over. There's a thing, I don't see if anybody knows, I'm really up on this modern lingo stuff, all right? Y-O-L-O. Anybody know that? What is it? You only, is that right? You only live once, right? You only live once, man. Make the best of it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We can fill our bucket lists and we can get all the gusto and we can just live it up and die. Find out, man, there was a whole lot more than just what I enjoyed down here on earth. I'm not against having a good time, not, a, not against enjoying stuff. But brother, if that is our goal, if that is what we're focused on, we're missing the point. Last of all, my last thought from Peter is this. He says, moreover, uh, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, then he makes this statement, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Would you come to John chapter 21, and I'm ending with this. John chapter 21. Peter has messed up bad, really bad. He's denied his Lord three times. Denied him. I don't know. I don't have anything to do with him. Curse and swear. And lo and behold, behold, Jesus rose again. And Peter weeps. When he realized what he did previously, he wept. Broken hearted, I fail. And I don't know, I get the impression that Peter felt like I've failed so badly. God can never, ever use me again. And so he says, I go fishing. I've blown the ministry. I can't do anything there. I'm just going to go back to my old occupation. I'm going to live for the here and now. Just do what I can to get through the rest of my life. And the Lord shows up. And he confronts Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Question, did the Lord know whether he loved him or not? Sure, the Lord knew exactly where Peter's heart was. He wasn't asking him that question to get information from Peter. He was asking that question to make a point to Peter. Peter, you're still useful. You still have something to offer. I can still use you. Peter, do you love me? You, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. He's saying, all right, if you love me, that's that's not in doubt. That's not where the question is. Get back up. Get serving God. And then in verse number 18, the Lord makes this statement. John 21, verse 18. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whether, uh, whether thou wouldest. You were young, strapping, boy, you can do what you wanted, you went where you wanted. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest. He's saying, there's a day coming, Peter. They're going to take you and they're going to put you somewhere you wouldn't choose to be. This he spake, verse 19, signifying 
by what death he should glorify God. The Lord told Peter he was going to die. The Lord told him, not in detail, but a little bit how that was going to take place. And we know from history, Peter did die. And they did take him by the hands and they nailed him to a cross. But Peter, in his reverence and respect for the Lord Jesus Christ, said, don't crucify me the same way you did Jesus. You turn that cross upside down. I want to be crucified upside down. And what I'm trying to say is this. Peter understood that his life was in the hands of God. God was in control and God was dealing. And he's... And, and he, and he, and I think he came to this conclusion. I need to cooperate with God. Live for Him and serve Him and let Him worry about the time and the method of my death. Are you with me? Just let the Lord take care of that. Put it in the, my time's in God's hands. And I want to say this, every one of us here tonight, our time is in God's hands. I worked as chaplain with hospice for about four years. One of the most fulfilling uh, ministries I've ever had, and I've got a lot of them. That was high on the list. I'd go and visit people, and they'd ha be, have terminal cancer. And we'd talk a little bit. Many, many, many of them I led to the Lord, trust Christ the Savior. Many of their family members, a very fruitful ministry. And sometimes they would say, Pastor Leatherman, you know, I've only got five weeks to live. And I'd always say this to them I said, Now, wait a minute. I may be going before you are. There could be a car wreck. There's a whole lot of reasons. My wife and I getting fusses. Who's going to die first? I'm going to die first. No, I am. No, she's not saying I'm going to. We say, but never mind. Disregard that last evening. <laughs> I'm going to die first. Uh-uh, I am. Nope, I am. Nope, you are. I'm older than you. I don't care. The fact of the matter is, God's the one that makes that the call. That's why abortion is wrong. That's why euthanasia is wrong. That's why suicide is wrong. That's God's call. Our life is in His hands. Our timing is in His hands. And Peter said, I'm shortly going to have to put off this tabernacle. The Lord told me. My life is in His hands. I think with all that in mind, what I just... Observe from this passage. Let's just dedicate our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Work the job. Do what we need to do. That's fine. Enjoy yourself. But that's fine. Let's just commit ourselves to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when it's all said and done, that's the only thing that's going to last. Well, we've done for the Lord Jesus. Father, bless now our invitation. And help us take to heart these thoughts that are given to us here in this one little verse. Lord, we don't want to be morbid. We don't want to walk around in morbid attitude. Rejoice in the Lord. We praise God for all you've done for us. Your goodness to us. But Lord, we want to take seriously this gift you've given us called life. We understand it doesn't. It's limited time here on earth. And it goes by quickly. I pray you'd help us to be wise. I wonder how many would say, Preacher, I just want my life to count for Jesus. I just want my life to count for Jesus. Any like that? Uplifted hand. Preacher, this coming week, I want to invest myself in eternity and win souls and live for God and give Him glory.
Let's ask God to have his way. Father, bless now our invitation, I ask. And have your way in our lives, in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, heads are bowed, eyes.